where we explore the intersection of wellness, well-being, spirituality, and intuitive business, and sort of like look at that overlapping part on the Venn diagram and say, what the fuck is happening there? And what does this all mean? I'm Michelle Pelazon, your host and the head witch in charge here at Holisticism. I'm delighted that you're here with us today. Thanks for listening. And if this is your first time joining us on the 12th house. Hi, welcome. So happy to have you. I think you're really going to like today's episode. We have been deep diving on the concept of manifestation over the last few weeks. And we want to like give people x-ray vision. We want to give people x-ray vision on on how all of these things work, you know, spirituality, well-being, the wellness industry, products, services, trends, how it all comes together, intuitive business and how business plays a role in all that stuff, right? And I love doing that, obviously, but I've really enjoyed going deep on the idea of manifestation over the last couple of weeks. Have you ever like seen a trend where you're just like, really? That's trendy? Like that's what we're wearing now? And and like everyone's wearing it and everyone seems to love it or like everyone's drinking this drink and they like love it and I'm just not into it, you know? And you're like, am I broken or are... Am I taking crazy pills or is everyone else around me just like, are they faking it? You know, like, are they, are they like not really into this, but they're just like kind of doing it because it's trendy and just like feeling confused (laughs) about where you're supposed to sit with this. I don't know about you, but I feel like that like almost constantly and especially around manifestation. I'm not going to lie. And I'm so delighted that so many of you seem to also feel the same way where you kind of don't understand how people can speak so confidently about manifestation and you got questions, but you also see part of it and you're like, I'm wrapping, it's confusing. I'm wrapping my brain around it, but also like, is it problematic? And I get parts of it, but I don't get other parts of it. And that's why we wanted to do this series because we have seen and heard from so many of you that there's like so much discourse and confusion and almost you don't even want to touch it you're afraid to touch all that because like, what are we going to find? And the cool thing is we've, we've had these amazing guests over the last couple of weeks, Jaleesa Cypress, Milana Snow. Next week we have Sharin Eskandani, who are all experts on manifestation and have these really in law of attraction, have these really different perspectives than what you typically see on Instagram and TikTok and the sort of goopification of the manifestation world. I'm really excited about today's episode because I think manifestation really plays into what we're talking about today, which is relationships and attachment theory. And before you're like, wait, those are different things. It's not manifestation. It actually is. And today's guest, Taryn Newton-Gill, is an awesome coach and person who helps other women date and fall in love and be in healthy relationships using attachment and also using spiritual ideas as well as sort of pragmatic, practical perspectives. And something that I'm just super personally interested in is the connection between the economy and manifestation and the height of manifestation. So if you remember when manifestation got really popular again, it was in early 2006, 2007, 2008, we had our sort of global recession around 2008. And I think that we are in these moments where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's tons of proof that like sociologists discuss this, that we reach out to sort of more spiritual. People start going back to church. We see like a rise in witchcraft and pagan searches for paganism on SEO. Like we look for the spiritual, we look for a higher power. 
We look for something beyond ourselves because we are looking for control and we've lost control by ourselves. So we are trying to invoke some greater, higher power beyond us. And if you look at sort of when manifestation was really big earlier, that was about 100 years ago, again, in the 1920s and 30s, you know, when we had a huge wealth disparity in the United States. And then, of course, we went to the Great Depression in the 30s. And we were also coming out of World War One again, a time of like great unrest in the world. It's really interesting to note that and to note other times when we feel that sense of desperation or we feel a lack of control. And I think that often in our relationships and dating, we feel a lack of control, right? Because it's not about just us. It's about another person opting in. And I think the same thing happens often with money and with our businesses that we are looking to something outside of us to manifest, quote unquote, to just write down a list, to just think positively. If we change our mindset then and write down something every day, then we'll call in what we want. And that I'm not opposed to that being true, but I think that there's also a way for us to take our personal sovereignty back and take our power back. And instead of being disempowered and sort of letting these systems enable our behavior of not going deeper within ourselves and doing sort of the work on ourselves, when we actually use them as a pathway to empower ourselves and to take ownership and responsibility and co-create responsibly with the world around us, with the magic that is in everything, that's way more empowering and and more cool. So this episode, we're, we're talking about manifestation and when people talk about manifesting, oh, I manifested him, I manifested her, or I wrote down my list of my perfect partner, but they're still not coming in. What all this means, and spoiler alert, Taryn talks about a specific attachment style that is like way more likely to be into manifestation. And if you're not working on yourself with this attachment style, you will fall into this sort of desperation category. And often that's where a lot of list making and sort of manifesting comes in or becomes the sort of primary way to sort of work towards a healthy relationship and how, you know, manifestation isn't bad and law of attraction work isn't necessarily bad. And we have to be aware of like these other things that energies that we're pulling into our relationships and to the way that we co-create our lives. And in this episode, we talk about attachment styles. We talk about manifestation and relationships and dating and how gender roles and a lot of the like sort of dating advice out there is super misogynistic and sexist and backwards. And really there are like, oh my God, if you've ever heard about the chase and how men need to chase women and blah, 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 all that bullshit. Wow, we wow. There is some good conversation about that in this episode. So definitely stay tuned. If you're single, if you're in a relationship and you maybe have some moments of discomfort, which we all do, by the way, then I think double clicking on attachment styles will be really helpful for you. In fact, I just got this advice from my partner and I got this advice from our couples therapist this week. He was like, you guys should read, you should read attached again. I think it would be a good refresher. We both read it before we got together. And I definitely don't think that we would be together if we hadn't worked on ourselves and our own attachment styles before we met. I talk about it a little bit in this episode, but as a really sensitive person with some serious emotional relationship trauma, yeah, I felt like a crazy person a lot of the time when I was dating. I, either like a crazy person or like 
0% interested in the person who was great on paper and delightful and attractive and wonderful to me and kind and interested <laughs> and available. But I just was like, yeah, no, that's so boring. I want to go after that person who kind of acts like they hate me. So <laughs> and that might be interesting and useful for you if you're single or if you're in a relationship. Again, this can really apply to so many people. It can even apply to the sibling or parent or parent-child relationship. So stay tuned. And before we get into this episode, if you love this idea of looking at the wellness and well-being space and products and the industry with x-ray vision, being able to sort of see through it and see what's bubbling underneath the surface, I think you'll love the cusp. The cusp is our wellness hype beast community. <laughs> I love that. Where we talk about what's going on in, in the wellness space and in the industry. And we look at products, services, and sort of the trends that we're seeing and we review them. Really, honestly, we are not affiliates. We are not sponsored by anyone. In fact, I've gotten some mean letters from founders who did not like the review that I wrote about their product. What is the cost? It's a newsletter that we send out every two weeks and a community on Mighty Networks, which is so fun, is packed full of like incredible people. What do you get when you join the cusp? A couple of things. First, we deliver a product review every single month. Oh my God, you guys. Last week we reviewed this, basically a skincare dupe brand. Now, when I tell you that the whole line, I swear to God, I think that the founder of this company just like looks at her favorite holy grail products, all the stuff that you'd find on Into the Gloss that's sort of clean beauty or clean beauty adjacent. And she just pulls that and and she makes formulations that are like nearly identical. And then she sells it for like $10. So the three products that I mean, specifically reviewed last week from this range, which by the way, you can get these products at Whole Foods, you can get them at Sprouts. The three products that are like the best dupes, in my opinion, are the dupe for the Drunk Elephant Proteiny Moisturizer. It is incredible. It's a $70 moisturizer and it works really well. But the dupe is like $12 and works just as well. Trust me, I've tried. The second dupe is for May Lindstrom's Blue Cocoon, which is just like $180 balm, blue balm. And it's like so nourishing and lovely and like delightful and very bougie. But $180 for, I mean, come on, you guys. So this brand, the mystery brand that you'll find out when you join the cusp, has it for like $10. Oh my God. And that's so good. The comments are going off on this product review. So go join and check it out. And someone told me that they bought all of these products and they saved themselves like $400. So go if you are a skincare fan and buff, then I think you'll like it. In addition to our product reviews, we do windows of opportunity, which are job listings. We do those every two weeks. You get 30 to 40 job listings in the wellness and well-being space. I got a really good piece of advice from a boss many moons ago who told me that I should interview every six months. She's like, you're not getting fired, but like you should interview every six months because it's just good practice to like see how, I don't know, like <laughs> how much people want you out there in the job world. And also to give you some leverage if you get an offer for something that's higher. And that was the best piece of advice she could have given me because that was the way that I boosted my salary is I wasn't looking to quit my job. I went out on an interview and I got a salary bump. So if you are employed, wonderful. If you are unemployed, also wonderful. The 
windows of opportunity. Our job listings are excellent. And we also release a white paper every month where we do an industry deep dive. We've written papers on the future of in-home fitness, uh, non-alcoholic beverages, acne, neutral skincare, non-binary sex tech. We look at all of these trends and we look at the sort of players in the space, where they're going, what's sort of brewing, the flares that we're seeing in space that we have x-ray vision on as people who've worked in the wellness industry for over a decade and are on the business side of it to let you know, either as a consumer or maybe as a potential wellness business owner, what you should be looking for and what to expect next. We also just wrote a paper on the 2022 wellness industry predictions and it is very good. Ah, and I'd just like to say our very first paper, The Future of In-Home Fitness, written in January, predicted that there would be the ultimate, there would eventually be in the next six months to a year, a product released that would blend together the Peloton, the Hydro, the Tonal. It would be a multi-modality sort of tech, at-home tech gym. And today I just got a press release about Grit Epic, which is backed by Tony Robbins and Pitbull. (laughs) Interesting. But it is an all-in-one gym combining AI, 3D sensor technology, and digital smart weights that's meant to take on competitors like Peloton, Hydro, Tonal, and Climber. It is blending all those modalities together. So just saying... We predicted that many moons ago. And if you're part of the cusp, you wouldn't be surprised to see that pop into your newsfeed. Finally, like the best thing is the community and the people that are in the cusp who are sharing what their favorite products are, the services that they're trying, the practitioners that they love, the courses that they're taking in the wellness and well-being space, and just giving their honest reviews about it. They are conscious consumers, just like you and me who, yeah, are consumers and also want to make sure that they're investing in brands and companies that mirror their ethics and and what they're up to. So it's a really cool community. It's $5 a month. The first two weeks are free. And man, we give you bonuses. We give you perks. We give you discount codes. It is awesome. And I hope you can join us if you like this idea of X-ray vision and wellness and well-being. So without further ado, oh, finally. Last thing, sorry, then we'll get into the episode. But if you could go ahead and if you've ever like enjoyed something that you've listened to on this podcast, if you could just like hit subscribe on the 12th house, it would be so helpful because every time people subscribe to the podcast, it boosts our rankings significantly. So anytime I like put out a call here and say, hey, can you please subscribe? I know like hundreds of you do and that really impacts our ratings and that helps us get cooler people and guests on this podcast. And it also helps us pay for this podcast so we can continue to make free things for you that you really love. So if you could go ahead and do that, I would really appreciate it. And if you like this episode, go ahead and send it to a friend, shoot him a text and share it. It, Spotify and Apple make it really easy to share this with your friends or share on your Instagram. If you don't have a friend who's single, share. Like It makes such a big difference to us. And we try to just pack these episodes with insights that will be useful for you and have really important, relevant conversations that feel really valuable. So that would make a world of difference to us and and really means a lot. And we appreciate it. And we're sending good energy right back at you when you do things like rate and review and subscribe. Thank you. It makes a difference. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Taryn Newton-Gill. Taryn, it's so good to see you. Thanks for joining us for the 12th House podcast. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. It's so such a treat to see you all in one place. 
I know. I know. On the same screen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We were going to try and be in the actual same place today, but alas, life life happened. So we're in the digital sphere together. But we're so excited to talk to you about a lot of things. But you are a relationships expert and you specifically help women with attachment theory. Can you just give us like the 30 second overview of attachment theory and why it's important? Absolutely. So attachment theory is basically the scientific study of how humans bond and form relationships. These can be any relationships, basically any relationship in your life. You're interacting with someone's attachment style, but it really focuses a lot on intimate relationships, such as with a parent or child or lovers. Beautiful. Team, did you know about it? You knew about attachment styles before this, right? Yeah. Well, honestly, I really knew about them because of Taryn. <laughs> Taryn taught a community teaches class for us in holisticism. And right before she came in to teach that class, I had just kind of heard whispers of the attachment style theory. And I was very curious about it because I was like going through a lot of struggles in my own relationships with trying to figure that out for myself. And Taryn, you really actually like opened my eyes to a lot of things. Through that workshop, I definitely started to understand my own attachment style. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, no, that you have been, you've been my my guru, my attachment style guru Ooh. this far. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been someone's guru before, so I'll take it. <laughs> Welcome to the rest of your life. Yeah, I feel like attachment styles are like when you understand yours, you're like, oh, I'm not a crazy person. Like, at least that's how I, maybe I'm speaking for myself. But I was like, oh, I'm not neurotic and insane. I'm just anxious attached. Okay, cool. And I can work on like, I can change. I'm not always going to be like this and like feel like I'm a slave to these anxious feelings all the time. Like there's a way to, (laughs) I can be free of this feeling. Absolutely. That is in a nutshell why I even do this work because I used to think I was crazy and something was wrong with me and felt like a slave to my anxiety without even knowing that I was having anxiety. Like I couldn't even place that that was my experience, you know? So I'm glad that my workshop spoke to you and helped you understand your attachment style, Janelle, because that's the point. It's like, I used to hear whispers too on podcasts. That's where I first heard about it. And they would like drop the phrase attachment style. And I'd be like, what, what, what is that now? You know? And then my therapist said it to me when I was in reference to dating, when I was talking about something once, she just said, oh, that's your attachment style. And I was like, wait, 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 this sounds familiar. Like, I don't understand what that is, though. Can you explain? And she basically had that book attached on her table and told me to read it. And my mind was completely blown. And that was the biggest feeling I had was like, freedom, you know, like, wait, like, this isn't me. This isn't because like something's wrong with me inherently at my core. And I just don't know how to have an intimate relationship. Like, this is literally I'm biologically programmed for this at this point, you know, and that to me is such a freeing thought. And so many of our issues in relationships come back down to that core issue of your how your attachment style functions that like once you know it, I like to say it's like putting glasses on because you suddenly see everything more clearly. Like you are seeing in like blurred vision and didn't realize. And then you put on glasses and everything is crystal clear and you like know who you are and you know who they are in the context of the relationship. 
you know, and it just changes everything from communication to like how you feel about yourself and them. It's amazing. I'm an advocate. I feel like for those who don't know, I'd love, I'd love for you to break down what the actual styles are. So there's three main ones and I talk about a fourth one. So the main styles that they talk about a lot are secure, anxious, and avoidant. So those are your dominant styles and they make up most of, I honestly should really get the stats for this. I think it's worldwide. They make up like secure is 50%, avoidant is like 25% and anxious is 20%. 50% sorry, of yeah. people are secure. What? No, that's, yeah, that's not in LA. I don't believe that. Definitely not in LA. I know that feels insane, right? But the truth is that it's at least in the dating pool in terms of like relationships, they pair off more quickly. So when you're dating, you majority of what you meet are insecure. So they said this in the book, wow. book attached and it blew that my mind. Out. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so basically all the single people are like anxious or avoidant. <laughs> yes, by and large, but <laughs> I know it's kind of depressing when you think of it that way. But I will say that my husband's secure and I met him on Tinder. So hope is out there. Don't lose hope. Yeah. Thank like, you. I often liken my like kind of analogy for dating is it's like vintage shopping. You have to weed through a lot of people's old shit before you can find the hidden gem. And I actually was put on blast for that on Facebook when I posted it once by someone who was like, don't just call it old shit. Like, like they were offended by my saying old shit. And I was like, look, I just mean that in terms of the analogy, like we all have shit we've dealt with, you know, so that's not to offend anyone. But I do think there's truth in that, that like it take like you have to know what to look for and pay attention and appreciate the hidden gems when you find them. But it does take like scrolling. Yeah. And the thing that I love about attachment theory is that it's mutable. So you can change. You Mm -hmm. can start off as anxious attached and then work on yourself and how you, I don't know, perceive partnership and become securely attached. Or you can do that work with your partner, knowing that maybe one of you is avoidant, one of you is anxious, and you can both come together to be in a more interdependent relationship as opposed to codependent or completely independent, which I think a lot of us who maybe are anxious attached or started off as anxious attached try to be, which is like, I don't want to be melded onto this person too much. So I'm actually going to run in the opposite direction and pretend I'm totally independent. Mm -hmm. But that prevents us from having those deep relationships that we crave, like what we really say that we want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think that that's actually the key for me for healthy to healthy relationships is that interdependence and having a safe space where you can come together and say, okay, let's talk about this, whether it's your Mm -hmm. attachment styles or whatever else you want to bring up. You know, I, I was working with someone recently who really wanted to talk to her husband and didn't know how to bring things up. And Mm. I, and there was an issue between them. And I was like, this issue is not actually the issue. The issue is that you're afraid to bring things up. That part. Oh, I think that is the biggest like sign for me at least. And like, an, an unhealthy or unstable relationship is when it's like, okay, you can't, I don't even know how to communicate. I'm afraid of your reaction or I'm afraid of like how, how this communication is going to go down. It's like, well, if you can't start there, that's foundational. It feels like, you know? Absolutely. But also, I don't know how I, because I feel like that happens in a space where 
you have to have some sort of sense of like personal security, right? There has to be some element of like a secure, maybe not attachment, but like a secure feeling in order to be able to open the space and have hold space for those communications. Yes, exactly. I'm so glad you said that because like in terms of, you know, a lot of people come to me because they want to manifest a relationship, you know, and I know you guys have been talking about manifestation a lot. And I've been loving that because I've always really struggled with, do I want to use this word? Do I not actually have it on my website right now? And was struggling because I know it resonates with people, but I really... I'm spiritually inclined, but I'm also very practical. And I really, that's why my practice leans towards behavioral science with elements of spirituality. But the way I think of it is that the science informs us of things and the spirituality like helps us connect it to ourselves in a way, if that makes sense. And so in terms of like worth, right, and our own sense of security, like a lot of attachment is around worth. And Mm. this idea that like, like when I think back to how I used to date, I really didn't feel worthy. Mm. And so I would show up that way. And so of course, I'm going to manifest a relationship that's not, I don't feel worthy in, because that's the place I'm like showing up from. You know, mm-hmm. and so the whole thing with attachment is that when you can realize your own feelings of low self worth or vulnerability, your shadows essentially, and you can, you know, shed light on them for yourself and make peace with them, you start feeling more worthy because you're accepting those parts of yourself that you're trying to hide from the other person. Mm-hmm. And, and I think only when you're able to do that. Or, and have a partner who actually can explore that with you. Like you don't have to be perfect by the time you meet the person, but you need to have someone who's willing to go to that space with you so you can both help each other feel more worthy in an interdependent way, not in a codependent way. Yeah. Thank you. I want to just say yeah. thank you for saying that because the thought that came to my mind, especially when we talk about manifestation, is like this idea that people do have to ha- be the thing before they can have the thing, you know? I think that this actually came up in one of the summer solstice classes and I think it's a really great ideal and also like something to definitely like have the intention in the back of your mind. But a comment was made about how you write down the thing that you want to have in in a partner and you become that thing. And I've heard that quite a bit and I do that. A lot of that definitely resonates with me. However, there's this, I think in the world of spirituality, there can always be this feeling right that like if I'm not completely that thing I'm not going to attract anything you know like that or I'm not going to attract the thing that I that I want and I just yeah I don't I don't buy that I also think that there's something into a relationship about building together and growing together and that's always going to be happening anyways no matter what stage that you're at because nobody's perfect ever and we're all always growing at least I feel like we all I would think that we're all always growing. Otherwise, I feel like we're dead. That I, I think that's a really important point to make. Basically, I mean, I'm just glad that you said that because, yeah, you don't have to be. And I'm also saying that to myself <laughs> as a person who's like constantly expecting like the most yeah. imperfection from themselves and is really actively working to let that go. I definitely like have to remind myself that like I don't have to be perfect. I, I just have to be open and willing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and able to have those communications and wanting that, you know, and setting that intention. So yeah, I I agree. I think that that's like a total myth that exists in the spiritual and wellness space that in order to have love, you have to love yourself first. And like, that's a nice sentiment, but I don't think that like the pathway to self-love is completely linear and often loving our, it's, it's continuing 
continuously expansive. So like, I'm not going to reach a finish line of like, cool, checked off self-love. Now I'm ready for romantic love. Like it's constantly growing and evolving and changing. And to even put it into the world that you're not that you're not worthy of love if you don't completely and totally love yourself, I think is actually a kind of harmful and it's much more messy, <laughs> you know? Mm. So like, I think that's why we, we, we don't put that on Instagram captions. We put like, you got to love yourself first before the people will love you or before you can be in love. But that's that, I don't think that that's true. And I think that there's a little bit more messiness to it, but Taryn, you had such a great, I'm so glad you brought up manifestation because I have like 10 questions I want to ask you about it because you already know how I feel about manifestation. I do. (laughs) Well, I know that we have never, we haven't come to an answer, but it's still a question we're exploring. I love that. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm quoting Michelle. My question <laughs> I'm curious for you. So many people talk about manif- quote unquote manifesting their partner. Oh my God, I manifested him. I manifested her. Is that kind of like unpopular opinion? Is that derogatory to like say that like you manifested a person when like they've existed arguably for like <laughs> 25 to 35 years before you even had an idea that you wanted them? Like, what do you think about that? And does that maybe, is that like the tip of an tip of the iceberg or perhaps like an unhealthy perspective to take on manifestation? That's a really good question. And it has been a fleeting thought for me before. I think that the word manifest, I've really been thinking about this, is not accurate in itself. I think we Mm. use it as a default to mean a lot of different things. And I think that that is part of the confusion too, because I think in that context, what really people are saying is that I attracted this person. Mm. You know, I think, I mean, maybe some people actually are telling themselves that they created the person, which to me is the other way to use manifest, you know, like I know when I say manifest a healthy relationship, in my mind, I'm really saying create a healthy Mm. relationship because it's empowering. It's more empowering to me than the normal language around finding love, which I find to be really disempowering because you're Mm. not active in that. And it also makes us think that it's going to show up in that whole version we're talking about that perfect when you, you know, like when you find a hundred dollar bill, like you're ready to spend it, right? Like it, Mm -hmm. it exists. But when you find a person like, there's much more to discovering who they are than just like the time you meet them. Right. So like, I do think the word manifest is misused. And so that's, yeah. But I, I also think that there is a certain level of belief. I mean, I remember the first self-help book I read was like, let go and let flow, like like, just by surrendering to things, you're going to attract them. And like, Mm -hmm. it was all about writing lists. That's when I first got into writing lists of things you want. And like, this woman was like, my husband wrote all these specific things down in a job he wanted. And by the next week, he had them all, you know? (laughs) And, And I really think people believe that. And really the truth is that that's a great exercise for getting clear on what you want. Mm -hmm. But does that mean that it's going to come? Like, I don't necessarily believe it works that way. So I do think it is a bit misguided to think of it that way. Oh, I love that perspective. I have a question. I want to take it back to the attachment styles, if that's okay. You were saying you have to learn these things about yourself and you learn them with your partner and stuff because it's immutable. What are some for each attachment style? Because I feel like there are people who have, who can associate with each of them. What would you say are some helpful things to do while you're trying to like learn or heal or become more secure? 
Sure. So the first, the very first thing I tell everyone is to try and get clear on your attachment style. That's a great way to just explore how they show up because it's really easier to understand attachment through understanding your own style because when you read about the characteristics or learn what it means, only you truly know how you react to things and feel, you know, inside. So I have a quiz for that for people that I've tried to make it as accurate as possible. But I think also like if you clearly have like an avoidant or an anxious style, when you read books like Attached, you will know, you know, when it's strong, it's very easy to know. But so the way, so first you get clear on yourself, like what is that style, you know, because it is plastic or malleable. It is on a spectrum, our styles. We tend to have a primary style that's dominant, that like is kind of our go-to style. So for instance, me being anxious when I'm triggered, like my immediate response is to have anxiety. Mm. But when, so The thing is, it is changeable. There have been studies where there was a study over a four-year period that tracked people's attachment styles from before the four years and after, and 30% of people had significantly changed their style. 70% still had the same exact style. So they are changeable, but it's really like, it really takes something really significant to fully change your style, you know, but where where it is mute like more malleable is within the context of certain relationships so for mm. instance i'm still dominantly anxious and that does show up in my relationship with my husband but because he's very secure and we have a lot of trust there while i might get anxious i'm more quick to go to my secure tools because I trust him and I I know what they are and I can use them if that makes sense, you know, or because he's secure, he's quick to reassure me when I'm feeling anxious. So it subsides pretty quickly. So I end up being more secure in my relationship with him than not, but it doesn't mean I don't get triggered and have anxiety. Whereas people who don't know how to reassure me or trigger my anxiety more, I might show up more anxiously in that relationship, you know? That makes so much sense. So can there be combination styles? Because I saw, I think I'm fearful avoidant, but I was like, or anxious avoidant. No, I think it's fearful avoidant. It's the same, yeah. So fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment, it's known as both, Mm -hmm. depending on who you ask. And that's the one that's about 5% of the population. So a lot of anxious types think they're fearful avoidant because they have some avoidant tendencies. But someone who's truly fearful avoidant, meaning that they're a combination of both anxious and avoidant, they basically long for closeness and have a certain warmth that anxious people have, like they're aware of other people's needs in a way that truly avoidant people aren't as much, but their coping mechanism is the same as avoidant in that when they are feeling vulnerable, their instinct is to go inside themselves and, and withdraw versus when anxious people are triggered, they actually want to attach more. So that's the true mark of a fearful avoidant is when you start feeling like you really need your space from someone in a way that anxious people don't, they get avoidant sometimes with people, but that might be a relationship where the person's anxious. So it's bringing out a more avoidant side of them. I hope, I don't hope that's not confusing because it it gets a little weedy, but like, like anxious people do something called protest behavior. Protest behavior is basically when like someone is has triggered you. Like, let's say someone, this used to happen to me all the time. And this is a common one in the dating world. When someone doesn't respond to you, who you're dating or you're talking to, and you do one of two things, you either say, well, they haven't responded. I'm going to wait, 
until, you know, they respond, I'm not going to follow up. I'm not going to do anything because they're not responding to me. Or once they respond three hours later, what I used to do is I would wait another three hours to respond because I was like, I would wait four oh. hours. I'd be like, Oh, you're gonna make me. Th- okay, fine. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll one up you. One up you. Exactly. Let me show you how breezy I am. I'm yeah. cool. I'm cool. <laughs> exactly. So like, so that we'll do that. And that's where people who are anxious think they're avoidant sometimes because that's an avoidant that looks like avoidance, but you're doing it out of being angry at them. You're not doing it because you truly need space. So that when, you know, so I just, I tell people that because fearful avoidance are less common. And so I, I want, I let, try to let people know that like, if you're assessing yourself, really ask yourself, like, do I truly need my space? Sometimes? Yeah. I really think I'm in the 5%. I'm a five percenter. I think you're in the 5%. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing you. And Janelle, your face is, I'm, I'm dying so anxious. Right now. <laughs> I'm such an anxious attachment style. It's not even funny. It's not, it's insane. Like, I'm classic. So, yeah, I just recognize it all. Yeah, me too. Wow. I, same, same. And I, yeah, I'm like, as we're talking about this, it's taking me back to single them and like how much conflicting information there is out there, right? There are people that are like, oh, no, 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 you have to play hard to get. You have to let, you have to play the typical gender role. And if someone is, you know, if you're dating a man, then you have to let them chase you. And if you're going to play the gender role of being the woman, then you have to be chased and you can't put yourself out there and blah, blah, blah. And like, wow that's so fucked. Also, yeah. like so confusing. And, and by the way, you have to, you can't chase the person, but you have to write a list down of everything that you want them to be. So you have to know exactly what you want. But then when you find them, you can't be too desperate. You have to pretend like you're cool and breezy and you have oh, to I'm let having them find anxiety you. just listening. I it's know. Cool. It's but real. It's, it's so like confusing and just there's, yeah. it's so conflicting and it's so much energy to like try and do all of that. And I wonder Taryn, because you're such an expert in this, because you've seen so many people, what's this? Is there a connection between an attachment style and sort of like a philosophy around calling in the one or manifestation? Like, do you notice Ooh. that more avoidant people maybe don't believe in manifest manifesting their partner, and more anxious people are like and crossing their fingers and like praying and like and doing like literally doing anything to like call in their person like because they just want to be attached like what do you see yes absolutely i think that's true and for a very simple reason which is that avoidant people usually consciously tell themselves one of two things either that they'd rather be by themselves because like life's easier. They, whatever reason they give themselves, it usually shows up in relationships. Like I need to focus on myself right now. I need to focus on my career. I think I'm just not made for relationships. I'm better to just like be my, you know, have a life of independence. They really highly value their independence. So they might do that or they tell themselves that their ideal, they really focus on their ideal person. And that person is usually Mm -hmm. an ex that they're focusing on or someone they have yet to meet. But avoidant mm. people are much less likely to manifest because in general, they don't long for closeness in the same way that anxious and secure people do. Now, it's human to want to be attached. So actually, they do want to be close more than they maybe acknowledge. But consciously speaking, they're not the ones who are like, I need a relationship right now in the way that an anxious person is. 
And even secure people might want to manifest and do that. But I do agree that they might not be doing it with the same, I want to say veracity, not sure if that's exactly the right word, but like vigilance. And, yeah. you know, definitely, I think those yeah. are anxious vigor. Things. Yeah, the vigor. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Because and it makes sense because anxious people not only have the goal of being attached, like the way a secure person has a similar goal or longing, but they are, are preoccupied. That's the thing with being anxious. Yes. You're preoccupied Ooh. with the relationship. So you think about it a lot. So it would make sense that you're sitting and making lists and everything. But going back to kind of what we were talking about or what you were saying, Michelle, actually, in terms of the chase and I actually just, I started my own podcast where I, I, yeah, plug it, plug it. What's the podcast? It's called truer love stories. And I basically coach people anonymously on air because I want them to feel safe to say whatever they want to say around some issue. And of course, attachment generally makes an appearance every episode, but it's not limited to attachment. But this last episode was really a big one for me because it's what I used to go through so much was breaking the unavailable people pattern. So Mm. people who feel like they're often attracting unavailable people you know, of course, a secure person might go out with an unavailable person here and there or, you know, an avoidant person. But by and large, fearful avoidant people and anxious people attract avoidant people who are typically the emotionally unavailable types. And the person on my podcast, the guest kept talking about, well, I just think I'm too available for them. You know, I think I didn't make them want me enough. I didn't give them enough of the chase. And I That is what I was a slave to back in the day mentally when I was dating was like, I couldn't even like text without having a panic attack about like, am I giving in too soon? Am I talking, you know, like, like questioning power, like it's such a power dynamic. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it sets you up to feel just like insane. And like you are giving them your power because you're waiting on them. You're having them dictate how you feel and what you do and how you show up. You know, what I told her was, you know, sometimes it is good to leave space if you're anxious, but that's not because of the chase. It's because what calms anxious people is reassurance. And when you Mm. give them the time to come to you, Mm. it confirms to your like core wound in there that they want you. And sometimes you need that. But other times when you really will have that desire to reach out and you're like questioning it, that means that you need to say something to them to get a response. And if they are secure, they will be willing to respond to you and give you the reassurance, you know? So like, forget the game and the chase. Like that's the problem is all these like really often misogynistic and like gender rules are really Mm -hmm. guiding people's beliefs. Mm -hmm. And it actually has very little to do with that at the end of the day, you know? Just going deeper because it, it keeps us from community. If we're able to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. with each other as lovers, you know, we are able to be more vulnerable as people with friends or whatever. And if we are being more individual, we're feeding like a system that furthers like oppression when the individual and not allowing us to connect. So it's intertwined in all of it, even in attachment styles. It's true. It's true. I actually posted about that since it was just Independence Day. And I have a thing around being an independent woman because, and I feel like maybe we said this a little earlier, you did Michelle, but about this idea of like, you know, being an independent woman is seen as this really positive thing. It's what we aspire to be as a modern woman. And that used to keep me from intimacy a lot of the time because it's how I would justify not, not dating people, you know, like 
I don't need to, you know, and it would justify why I would just like have sex, even if I didn't feel connected. Cause I was like, I'm an independent woman. I can do what I want, you know, but the truth is like, we all actually like are biologically programmed to connect. And I think independence is such a like capitalistic, individualistic paradigm we have that it really isolates us from people. And then it, I think we have less experience being vulnerable and being in community, like you're saying, and really being understanding and appreciating interdependence, you know, like, because we associate mm-hmm. needing someone or needing something from someone as weakness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we want to be self-sufficient and we want to be free and make our own decisions, but we don't want to be disconnected either. And we're never truly self-sufficient unless we're like living on a farm by ourselves, not working with anyone, like completely isolated. Like if you buy food at the grocery store, the farmer's market, you're dependent on someone else to like get your food, you know, like (laughs) this is so real. I don't remember the woman's name and I wish I had looked it up before this podcast, but the woman who actually coined the term codependence made a statement saying that she regrets actually coining that term, at least in the way that people have. And like digested it because it always, it carries such a negative connotation, right? Like if you're codependent, there's something unhealthy about your relationship dynamic. But at the end of the day, in a relationship, you are going to be dependent on one another for one reason or another in one aspect in some way. And so it's not an unhealthy thing to be dependent. It's actually very normal and it's, it's human. It's like, again, how we are in community with each other, even outside of relationships. But it's when I feel like you, and this part I'm now coming up with coming up with because that's the end of her statement. But it's when you you lose sight, I feel like, of your own sense of like you were saying, Taryn, of like making your own choice your own choices and and uh, your own decisions. And that's the same thing. But 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 being your own person and you forget you lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day you are still an individual and start to rely on that other person for your basic human needs and feelings and and how you show up in the world. I think that's when it sort of starts to teeter. But the fact that you're dependent on somebody is very normal and like real. I just want to put that out there for all the people who are like stuck on the word of codependency and are like, I don't want to be codependent because that was recently very much me. And I'm like, well, wait a minute though. You should be able to depend on your partner. You should be yeah. able to depend on, I, you know, you grow up literally depending on people. You have to depend on your parents to be fed and housed and clothed. And, you know, so yeah, I, I think that that's something that's a, a real important thing to put out there. I also have a really random question since we brought up sex for a second. I just want to ask, do you think it's ever possible, Taryn, for an anxious attachment style to be able to have casual sex with people? <laughs> oh, that is such a good question. Question for the ages. So I just want to give my disclaimer that I am totally pro anyone having consensual sex anytime they want. You know, absolutely. But I do think it is a bigger struggle for anxiously attached people because of the way we attach Because really what it comes down to is safety, right? And Mm -hmm. if we don't know someone, we haven't established any, like, like especially in a one night stand scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Like where you just met this person. There's no trust there yet. So we, you know, and, and anxiously attached people, we're very good in the beginning when we don't think we like you yet. You know, like the first few dates, I was always like a boss, like top of my game, whatever. I don't know you. I don't know if I like you. Whatever. The minute that I would realize, and I know this happens to my clients, that I like the person is when all the anxiety floods in. And because of the nature of sex that makes you feel more bonded to someone, we, if we have sex with someone, even if it's just casual, 
like we have to be very aware of ourselves and our attachment, I think, to not walk away mm. from that and then suddenly feel like, okay, now I'm in, like, that's when the anxiety comes on because now you feel close. The chances of you feeling like you're into someone are higher. And if you haven't built that mm. foundation of trust yet, then that's when I think the anxiety becomes much stronger. Now, I have a client mm. who I've been working with now for almost a year who I think can do it but she still gets attached, but she's so aware of her attachment that if it happens, she knows exactly what she's going through and she's able to like self-soothe and talk herself out of it quicker than someone who maybe goes into this mm. without awareness, you know, copy, but it's, 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 a, it's a tricky space to be in. I'll say. Yeah. I, that was a good question, Janelle. I was thinking about that, about how much stupid advice, misogynistic advice there is out there about around like not sleeping with someone on the first date. If you do, then you've like doomed your relationship. I'm living proof that, that that's not true. Yeah, so. Yes, <laughs> let us know. Let us know. Right. This is and getting like, murried, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I just think that that's so limiting. Again, it's it's like these weird rules, right? That sort of are which I think to bring it back to manifestation is sometimes the problem with manifestation, right? That it's really black or white. There are these rules you have to follow. You have to do it this perfect way or else you're going to not get what you want. You're going to get punished by the universe or whatever. You're going to get your heart obliterated by this person because you didn't follow the rules and that's why they don't love you. And yeah, there aren't really rules there. It's just your internal compass and knowing yourself and being self-aware. And that's again, so much harder (laughs) than just following a set of rules that apply to everyone, which is, I think like the, the nuance here with dating and love and also with what we're talking about. I love how how you called it creating a relationship instead of manifesting a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's like infinite possibility. There's not really one right way to do it. There's the right way for you right now. And that might change that part. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a really empowering idea. Kind of like the way stereotypes function. Like I do think the rules Mm. came from somewhere, right? Where like a lot of people were like, hey, it's better not to sleep with someone on the first date, right? Mm -hmm. But that to me, like, it was really hard for me to follow the rules because I didn't understand where they were coming from, Mm. you know? And like, and because I do think that they were just kind of like this, like, generally this works better. So, you know, it's better to do it this way, you know? Mm. And I think that when I can understand like, okay, I shouldn't not sleep with someone because that makes me a slut in this misogynistic, like weird rule book that is not written down anywhere, but everyone knows, you know, but, or because they will not want me as much because that's not actually the reason, right? Mm -hmm. The reason is because it'll give me anxiety. Mm -hmm. And when I can understand that, then I can make the choice based on, like you said, Michelle, like my internal compass, you know, but we're taught to look because there's this like really bad, I think, like messaging in the dating world of like, if you're not getting it, like, yeah, you're doing something wrong. And it's like the, yeah, we're just like following rules that don't make sense instead of really paying attention to how we feel. You know. Yeah. I read the book, The Rules in college. My college roommate and I read it because one of our friends was like a master expert dater. She wasn't really. She was just like really pretty and skinny. And she <laughs> was like, you have to read this book. My mom gave it to me. It's called The Rules. Oh, so my yikes. college roommate and I read it. And it's so like 1980s, misogynist, anti-feminist. Oh, no. Like it's kind oh. of like 
like, is like, it like actually Steve insane. Harvey think like a man? I can't, I imagine probably similar to that. There, like there was one rule that's like if he calls that. you, you should never spend more than ten minutes on the phone ever. Like you're <laughs> never allowed that's to spend more than ten minutes so until you're married. Toxic. Until you're married. And then I looked up. I remember looking up the authors, and they were like they were both divorced. They'd both like, but was like, the, the big thing about the book is that they had, they'd nailed their husbands. They'd gotten their husbands through these rules. And then, you know, 20 years later they were divorced. No big deal. If you get divorced, just like, all right. But that pulled me so much away from like my personal understanding of who I was and my connection to my feelings, because I was yeah. trying to follow these rules and I was pushing down how, how I felt, right? Like what was coming up for me and exactly. like distancing myself from and making myself wrong for feeling the w- ways that I felt mm-hmm. and sort of gaslighting myself into acting a different way. And I think that really messed with a lot of my relationships in my early 20s. I allowed things that I would never allow now, knowing myself and and feeling like empowered to feel my feelings, yeah. even when they're like not so cute. And And just actually like understanding what I need and what I want. And yeah. that's why I love attachment theory because I feel like it it brings us back to understanding ourselves and what's coming up for us and where that is coming from without unnecessary judgment that like our reaction is bad or good. It's mm-hmm. just, this is my reaction. Here's why I have this reaction. And I can choose to either like continue or maybe change direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly what I used to go through too in the same way. And that's such a good way to think about it, that the rules force us to push down how we feel and actually healthy relationships and attachment theory ask us to say how we feel. And mm-hmm. I think that the, a lot of the anxiety comes from the disconnect of that intersection of like our mind thinking we're not supposed to say this, but our body feeling like I need to say this so badly, which is yes. why anxious attachments over explain themselves and end Ooh. up sending texts that say like everything <laughs> they ever thought. Don't read me. Don't read me. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Nobody asked you to do that. Thank you. <laughs> so I see you sending paragraphs and like long points. I, that's all I send. I don't know any other way to text but to send a paragraph and three in a row. I don't know any other way to do it. I got to get it all out. It's got to happen. They're all explode. <laughs> Oh my God. But see, is that after usually someone's not responding to you? Yeah, or, or, not like, like- or like somebody's not responding to me in the way that I want them to. I know they're upset with me or mm. I know that like something's happened and they are. They're like, I was with a partner who was more of a avoidant attachment. And so right. when, and that's a very interesting combination, anxious and avoidant. I realized that as well. But when things would go bad, he would want to distance and go away and separate and like work his own shit out. And I'd be like, no, we need to figure this out now. We need to have this conversation. We need to talk, talk it out. Like we need to be here, which would make things worse ultimately. But I would be just so anxious about it. I couldn't stop myself from just sending all the messages. <laughs> well, you're talking about the most common dynamic, which which is the anxious, it has a name, the anxious avoidant loop or the anxious avoidant trap. Mm. And that's because your coping mechanisms are bumping up against each other. So it's this like really fucked up thing where anxious and avoidant people are actually attracted to each other and then equally trigger each other. So that like love hate dynamic a lot of the time comes from like, you have this like intense chemistry, but then at the same time, the way you deal with things is opposite. And so you can't give each other what you need in that moment. And so like, that's when you send those kind of paragraphs, that's like, you're like in triggered mode and just like need a reassurance. And he is 
needing space. So he can't give you the reassurance you need. I literally used to date someone who only looking back to, I realized was avoidant, who was 12 years older than me at the time and Mm. would tell me like, I can't give you the reassurance you need. And at the time I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, I don't, what is, what are you talking about? Old man. (laughs) Mind you, mind you, this man had two teenage daughters and one of them had a granddaughter, had a daughter while we were dating, but he was like, wow, you wouldn't know he was, I mean, he was only 40 something at the time, but like, so he really was an Mm -hmm. old man. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't even know what that meant. Like reassurance. Like I'm not looking for reassurance, you know, but like, I think he had maybe Mm -hmm. studied a little about attachment theory and (laughs) wouldn't have minded a heads up that he was avoidant, but it's fine. But right. Like you can let me know that. (laughs) Like, Hey, I'm avoidant. You seem anxious. I don't think we should do this. Not that I would have listened at that time. (laughs) But yeah, so that's a very real thing. And that's because you are needing that reassurance. But I advise people just in general, which this is hard with avoiding people who don't answer their phones, but like to just like not have important conversations over text. Like that is when a phone call is needed or, Mm. but you know, I know that's harder with avoiding people who might not want to or answer, you know, but Mm -hmm. in, in that instance, it's good to like go just journal, you know, Mm. but that's not our react. We're like, we don't think to, we feel like we need this response from them, but Mm -hmm. it's really, you need to get clear on like, like in that moment saying like, what do I need right now? Like, you know, and journaling about that, Mm -hmm. distract yourself. I think that this is when human design is helpful because your authority can be helpful. So Mm -hmm. I'm avoidant or no, I'm anxious, but I'm an emotional authority, which means that if what I feel in the moment is not real, it is not real. So if I'm like really triggered by something, I need to like sleep on it and take a beat and just like let my emotional wave ride Mm -hmm. until I can like be ready to have that conversation or else I will like destroy the relationship because I've been there before. And like, that is so helpful for me to remember of like, this isn't real. And if I still have these feelings tomorrow, then I can act on them. But right now let's just have a cup of tea and like, we can always come back to this later. That takes skill though, Michelle, to even build up to the place where you can take a a step back in that, (laughs) especially in that emotional trigger, you know? Yeah, but yes, I'm not good at it. <laughs> like I'm working on it still. But. Ethan's better at it because he knows. I think that's the other thing too. If you can have that open line of communication with a partner and be like, "So here's my mm-hmm. here's what I'm gonna what here's what my muscle memory is gonna want me to do mm-hmm. in a moment mm-hmm. of being like dysregulated," mm-hmm. and I would yeah. really appreciate you caring for me and helping me not fall back into that muscle memory. Mm-hmm. If you can, not your responsibility, but. If you see it, like help me, I would appreciate you helping me. And I'd like to help you and just point it out to you when you're doing the same thing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And that, and that goes back to what we were saying before is that like, I really think that's truly the mark of a healthy relationship is if a partner can show up for you when you're feeling dysregulated to me, like you can get through anything, you know, and going back to manifestation, I think that is also part of the problem with it when it comes to relationships is that we often manifest things we think we want, but we don't realize what we need. And so we're not manifesting the right thing in that regard. Yeah. And so I tell people, okay, sure. You can write your list about their height and their attractiveness and if they like Mm. to travel or not, you know, and like, sure, it's good to note those things, but when it comes down to it and shit gets real, how do they show Mm. up for you? Cause like that should be the top of your list. How do they make you feel, you know, when you're in that moment? I'm going to make a list after this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) revisit my list and do some things. (laughs) 
I call it with my clients, I call it make a list of needs. And like, it's an ongoing list that you keep somewhere close by. And then like, as you're triggered, you write down like, what do I need right now that I'm not getting? And so like, Mm. that's the first thing is observing it. And then the next thing is like, can I communicate this to my partner? Or like, how Mm. can I bring this up to my partner? And that moment, that moment of vulnerability and risk when you're like, oh, I have this thing I need to communicate. Can I say it to them? Like, that's the scariest thing. But that's the true test, I think, of Mm. that's what builds intimacy and makes you fall in love with someone is how they Mm. respond. If they don't respond well, well, that's information that you they might not be right for you, especially if it happens multiple times. But I see Michelle nodding. And I know because when you've been in an intimate relationship where someone where you can be that crazy vulnerable with someone. And I like to say it's kind of like playing, you know, when you used to like play like Mario or like some kind of video game Mm. where you're like jumping from cloud to cloud and you're like hoping Mm -hmm. to land on the cloud. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you like fall, right? (laughs) And you die. Yeah, And you die. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's not as extreme in real life, like luckily, but like that feeling, that jumping, you're taking that leap. And when you have a partner who can like basically be that cloud for you and just like hold you once you've jumped off that cliff, that's what, you know, closeness breeds more closeness. That's what creates intimacy. But so many people are afraid to go to that space because of all these rules and how Mm -hmm. they think it's supposed to be. And I'm not supposed to bring this up. And, you know, and then that's when things don't work out. That maybe could have worked out, you know? Wow. Like thinking about what would the archetypes be of like the anxious Mm. person and the avoided person? I don't know. I know a lot of my anxious clients identify with like being the savior, you know, caretaker. Yeah. So true. (laughs) Yeah. And I think sometimes when people talk about like, oh, I manifested that situation in my life. I'm like, I mean, yeah, I guess you just like acted in a way that created that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was like your limiting beliefs. I think Mm -hmm. it was like your PTSD, my dude. So maybe Mm. like that's okay. And maybe we can be a little bit more aware of it. Exactly. People need you. Yeah. I was going to say, we, (laughs) we all need you. Like I'm in a relationship and I'm like, yeah, attachment. I need to read that book again. Like it's just, it's so helpful. It's fascinating. It really is. How can people work with you and find you and and learn more about atta- their attachment styles? There are a few ways, actually, and some things in the works. So first and foremost, you can always book a free consultation with me if you have any questions. And in that consultation, we discuss what I think the best kind of, you know, cocktail of thing could be for you. You know, if we work on old patterns, if you want to work on dating going forward, we probably will do a mix of both, but it's really focused and tailored to like, what is it you're going through? What do you want help with? And then I have all these tools that I pull from and attachment is usually, you know, informing the foundation of how we look at the relationship and your patterns. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the consultation for one-on-one coaching with me. So you can always, you know, just go through my website for that. Instagram, my link tree. But I'm also in the works of putting together my membership community. I actually have a membership community for my one-to-one clients that has been small up until this point. But I'm you know, moving towards offering that as, you know, if you're not ready to do one-to-one, but like you want these kinds of resources, you want people who are also interested in attachment and are in a similar space. Because for me, when I was single, like, you know, my sister will be married 10 years this year and I've been married not even a year and Mm -hmm. I'm two years older than her. So I was definitely like very aware of my singlehood before her. And Mm -hmm. then all my best friends have been with their partners for about 10 years. So it was very 
alienating, you know, as you're dealing with this and like extra adds to the layers of feeling like something's wrong with you when you can't relate to the Mm. people who you go to about stuff and they're not understanding what you're going through. So this group is really like really amazing people who are open and honest and like vulnerable and put it out there. And like, we have such good conversation on the daily about different like all these aspects, basically, we have specialty workshops each month, you know, I ha- I do have a good North Node, like paradigm in my head, you know, it's like, oh, this is how community works. So like, that was like my <laughs> initial starting point. And now I'm like pulling from other things. Awesome. Yeah, so that's they can find me at my website, truerlove.com, or on Instagram, which is underscore truerlove underscore, don't forget the underscores. And I'm always happy to answer questions and talk to people. And they can also look me up on my podcast on Spotify. I think it's on other places like Apple too, but definitely on Spotify, Truer Love Stories. You just kind of want to get a feel for how I coach. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so much, Taryn. Awesome. This was Thank so you. fun. I feel like we could have talked for like two more hours. Me too. Thank you for having me. All right. And that is our episode for the week. Thanks for tuning in. And next week, I am delighted to be talking to Sharon Askandani about manifestation and about how actually manifestation originated in indigenous and BIPOC spiritual practices and cultures and why it's been whitewashed by the Instagrammers of the wellness world and why it's really important to like go deeper on the law of attraction and sort of reclaim it. Again, this is why we want that x-ray vision, ladies and gentlemen and thems. She's and he's and thems. That's it. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you go back and listen to our other manifestation episodes. I hope that you tune in for next week's episode and that you enjoyed this. I'm sending you the biggest hug from here and I will see you on the internet. Okay, bye. Bye.